Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey everybody, you're listening to another episode of The Command Zone. I am your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And uh, today we're going to talk, we're going to talk tokens. We are going to have a token time. <laughs> token time, token talk. Not the kind of tokens you put into like a slot machine or a casino somewhere, no. Although about... I, do, I do like casinos, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> unfortunately not that... Uh, yeah, we're talking about token decks, token strategies. It's a big major archetype uh, in EDH, and we've, we're, I, I guess we're kind of starting another meta series, as it were. We do our color wheel, we do our top 10 lists, and this will be another one where we'll probably start going through some of the major archetypes in EDH, like Voltron, like, you know, aggro, like control, and like Mono tokens. red. Oh, token. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talk a lot about archetypes in general, so it is nice that we're gonna, we're just going to dive a little deeper into what it means to be in a certain archetype, and instead, because usually we focus on one uh, general or one color pairing, uh, just talking about the idea of tokens as a general, uh, tokens in general lets us broaden the subject and talk about all the colors and sort of what, what it works best in each color, the versatility of it, whether or not it's resilient, etc., etc. Yeah, exactly. Just get real deep and philosophical uh, about tokens in general as a strategy uh, across all the colors yeah. um it's yeah. definitely a good strategy i'll say that much uh, yeah this it's, is... it's definitely one of the core big strategies that exists in the format yeah and there's a lot of i mean you could go to like between one and ten you could go all the way to tokens to ten or you could sort of stop it halfway through at like five and have it kind of be a hybrid deck so we'll talk a lot about that too actually if you guys listen to our anafenza the foremost deck tech um that that deck was one that I bred as a sort of a hybrid token deck. So you can definitely scale the spectrum when it comes to this stuff. Okay, so let's just dive straight into the main topic here without any further ado. Um, what do we mean when we say token strategy? What does token strategy mean to you, Jimmy? To me, it specifically means going wide. And when we say going wide, we mean you're not, you know, you can either be a very tall standing tower or you can be a large army that spreads out horizontally is how I like to think about it. So if you're going to be a single tower, then it's sort of a Voltron strategy. If you're going tokens, you're going wide. So you're spreading across the battlefield. 
sometimes literally in the game because you're just filling up your play space with a lot of tokens and you're trying to create a lot of creatures and to eventually swarm and overcome your opponents by usually swinging out one big swing or playing something like Triumph of the Hordes to kill them with something like Trample because you just have more attackers than they have blockers. Yep, I agree. That's generally uh, what people think of when they say tokens is just that idea of like, I don't care how big your creatures are. I just have more creatures, like a lot more. Yeah, exactly. And you can't stop them all. Like, I don't um, care that you have a 2020 that is first strike and whatever. Like, I can just block it with one of my 100 tokens and swing out with the rest. Yep. There are also strategies that take advantage of tokens in a different manner. So that's not the only way to go with tokens, which is one of the things I really like about token strategies in general mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of different ways to build it, but that's definitely the most common way. Um, the why Zerg do you think, Swarm. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think it is that tokens are so popular? Because we definitely see a lot of token-type strategies uh, in our format. Uh, for one, it, I think it definitely appeals to all three of the core psychographics of mm-hmm. uh, players. For one, I mean, going wide is something that you do in limited, in standard, all the time as a way to win the game. Jeskai Tokens is like a really big standard deck right now. Yep. Um, and because it's really effective, it's it's a very resilient strategy, and it's a really good way to win in a convincing fashion if you're a Spike. If you're a Johnny, it's also a great way to just have, like, check it out. I have a 1,000 tokens. Like, boom, what are you going to do? I comboed off. I'm going to sack them all to do cool things, and all the synergy is going to make me feel really good. And if you're a Timmy, instead of having one giant creature, it feels good to have a billion small ones. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. It just appeals to just a large uh, amount of personalities. So, all right, well, let's talk about... Usually you win (laughs) if you're really going off with tokens. Yeah, when you go off, you, you generally are like... I do whatever it is I do. I do it really big, and then I win. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the reasons that tokens are so good, because it is a very good strategy. It is very powerful. Um, The first category we have here is versatility. So like you said, the main one is swarm, um, which is just the Zerg, tons of dudes. I've got, you know, the numbers can get crazy in our format, which is what makes it fun. Like, you can literally say, like, I have 1,582 tokens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, your arbitrary you know? number. Yeah, I attack you with 500, you with 500, and you with 582. You know, that's <laughs> one of the things you can do. Um, tokens also do other things, though, like we alluded to, like sacrifice themes are really good with tokens. Yeah. There's so many cards that it's like, hey, this card does an awesome thing, but the penalty is you have to sacrifice something to do it. And when you have all this fodder around to do it with, sacrificing is much more appealing. Yeah. Totally. So they turn a bunch of cards that normally seem like they might be bad into cards that are really, really good because you don't care about that downside of like, oh, I have to sack a creature? Well, I have 1,582 creatures. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, They also fit really well into tribal strategies. This is a way that a lot of people, you know, sapperlings, zombies, soldiers, even things like elves and goblins, you can really build token decks that are also tribal decks. And as we know, tribal decks are very powerful on their own. So now all of a sudden you're sort of got two strategies going on that build on each other. You know, we call that synergy. Yeah, that's actually really true. That's a good point. I usually see, I think the pattern is that if you're going tribal, you're focused more on 
the tribal elements. So you have a bunch of different elves if you're doing an elf deck, and they're different creatures. And on top of that, you'll also have a few ways to generate a lot of tokens. But there's so much synergy already that just having the elf tokens there benefits your other strategy of having, you know, like a guy that gives it all elves plus one plus one, etc. So you're not entirely focused on just having elves there, if that makes sense. Elf yep, tokens, totally. Like one. Yeah, ones. totally. And usually in things like an elf deck, you have all these cards that make your elves like awesome. So you got something that gives your elves all death touch, and then you got something else that makes your elves all tap for mana, and then you've got something else that gives all your elves plus two plus two. And now if you've got a token that makes two elves, normally two one ones aren't that good. But now you got two three three death touching Lanwar elves. Like, you know, that's when tokens can become really powerful because the synergy is so you know, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, one thing that Marshall talks a lot about in LR too is how, how much of a card is something worth. So let's say something like Raise the Alarm that makes two 1-1 one, one soldiers at instant speed for two mana. That Those two tokens together constitute one quote-unquote card because tokens on their own aren't necessarily the most resilient creatures because if you bounce one, they go away forever. If you shuffle it into the deck, it goes away forever. So tokens, when they become like those 3-3 three, three Landwar Elves that have Death Touch and all that stuff are definitely worth the card that they could be essentially yeah so then you're getting into a situation where you cast a card that makes three one one elves normally that's a th- the equivalent of a three three it's kind of like worth one card but then with all the synergy all of a sudden you cast that card and it's actually worth three cards yeah because each one of those one ones is actually a three three with death touch and those are real cards so yeah that's a way to get card advantage because you're turning your tokens into just more value than they're supposed to be which is awesome. Very good yeah. feeling. Another thing about token strategies, and we're going to talk about this further, but there's really actually options in every single color now. So if you'll notice, we talked about sapperlings, zombies, soldiers. There, that's three colors right there. That's green, black, and white. Mm-hmm. You also have red that makes goblins. Yep. And blue has started to do things like make um, merfolk. Yeah, or, or zero one like fish. <laughs> yep. And there's all kind. There's definitely recently been uh, more cards in blue that make tokens now blue i'd say is still the weakest at it but you could legitimately build a token deck that incorporates blue now like things like talrand make uh right so there's there's just more ways to do it than there used to be so that also opens you up to all the other good things that come with each color so if you want more card draw you can add blue in there but still keep your token theme if you want more mana ramp you can add green in there, but still keep your token theme. So there's a lot of ways to go, and it really opens up a lot of avenues to exploring different ways to utilize the tokens. Yeah, I'd also say that uh, blue probably can, you can probably say Thopters now with, oh, yeah. with Origins out is definitely, it, although they're artifact creatures, it's de- a Thopter is definitely a blue creature. It's blue and red, but mostly I think it's, it's definitely strongly blue. Right, but it is making tokens. That's actually a really, really good point. Um, and I, I, there's, cards from the past that make thopters too so maybe a a mostly thopter token deck might even be viable now where maybe it wasn't before so yeah yeah, really good point um the next category we have is resilience so token decks are pretty resilient i'm always amazed you know they can be really good against board wipes even though board wipes feel like they would be bad against it a lot of times you've got all these token generators on the board and somebody goes wrath of god and you're like okay and the next very next turn you just make 20 more guys yeah and I think that's the one thing that people think that is like, oh, you know what? I'll just board wipe when the token deck is getting out of control. But at that point, it's not just creatures that are making their tokens. They have enchantments out on the board. They have, 
you know, cards with flashback in their graveyard that can make more tokens. So they have lots of ways of getting back at that thing. They have board wipes that make tokens as well, you know, so definitely yep. a good resilient, resilient uh, archetype. Yeah, I also think, you know, token decks are very good at, at playing defense because the nature of of what they're doing is actually just like gumming up the blocking, you know, they can yeah. block... They can block basically forever in our format. Like if you're just going to swing in with a couple of 30-30 creatures, they're just going to throw one ones in front of it that they don't care about. And they're basically going to be able to keep up or even surpass you by just continuing to make little dudes. Yeah, and sometimes if your guy has like trample and is a nine nine, they'll just throw nine tokens in front of it too. It's you know like there's the the ability to double triple quadruple block is very real as well. Yeah, and then the other thing I think that makes tokens really really powerful is. There's actually a variety of ways to win when you just have a lot of creatures on the board. So, yes, you can just attack everyone. But mm-hmm. even in a situation where somebody's got, say, like Moat or Ghostly Prison out, there, if you build your deck correctly, you can have an alternate win condition that's like sacrifice a creature to make them mill or sacrifice a creature to do one damage to yeah, something. Yeah, Goblin Bombardment comes to mind yeah. for that. Those types of things are just alternate win cons that allow you to not have to attack with them and just say, oh, I'm going to take advantage of just having a lot of creatures. So it's very, very powerful because they stop the thing that you're doing and you go, okay, well, I'll beat you this other way because really all I need to do is have a lot of creatures and then I can find a way to victory from there. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because this is actually a technique that you like to employ, which is the ghostly prison or mm-hmm. humility, stuff like that, that really tries to hose other normal decks that don't, aren't able to go wide or kill you in a number of ways. So tokens definitely get, they definitely can surprise someone being like, wow, I didn't even think that that was going to be a way to kill me because I thought, you know, I have these creatures out. I have this thing that says you can't attack me for whatever reason. You're like, yep, oh, I'm exactly. Just sack pill- <laughs> a lot of times the pillow fort decks are like, I've got everything under control. I don't care. He could make a million tokens because he can't get through right. this ghostly prison or he can't get through my moat. And then you go, Oh yeah, I'm gonna goblin bombardment kill you. And yeah. it's like, dang it, or I'm gonna play Perforos <laughs> and then I'm gonna make 40 more guys, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh yeah, definitely there is res- the resilience of token decks is a huge strength. Uh the last thing I would say is budget. You know, token decks aren't incredibly expensive to make a a good one now the most powerful cards the doubling seasons the earthcraft the gaia's cradle those are are expensive but most of the cards within a token deck are not generally going to be very spendy from a dollar standpoint yeah not to mention there are really good um doubles not to use doubling seasons name in the uh how i'm describing it of these good alternatives Um, great alternatives that are way cheaper um, Guy's Cradle is also like an incredible, incredible land and costs a ton of money. But, you know, you don't actually need that to really win a game. Like most token decks, if they're built right, don't need that massive amount of man ramp. It'll, it'll do fine with whatever else it has. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if you don't have doubling season, well, Parallel Lives is a cheaper alternative. There's yeah. some things that do 75, 80% of what those cards do, and you don't actually need to to be working at 100% firepower to win you know token decks can do all kinds of stuff and still win even without you know a couple of the more expensive cards yeah and primal vigor is a card that they printed in commander 2013 that um basically doubles your tokens as well it does it for everyone but again usually i don't see many like if one person busts out a token deck i don't think you're going to see more than one other person at most playing a token deck which is interesting because it's such a resilient and good strategy and we all the time say like if you look at 
cards that affect everybody, you shouldn't just automatically discard them. A lot of times it's okay if somebody else or a couple other players at the table are getting a nominal benefit, but you're mm-hmm. getting maximum benefit. That's okay too. Yeah, it's totally okay. Yeah. Because again, it, when it comes down to the race, you're going to be doing better. And also you're just more well-equipped to take care, to, to, to abuse that ability. So let's say that inevitable board wipe does come, that person that gets some nominal effect out of it is not going to recover as fast as you are. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the first step sort of of building your token deck. You know, it usually comes from choosing your commander. So we're obviously not going to be able to talk about every general that is potentially good in a token deck. Like, there's just too many. But we wanted to go through a few different ones, and they they sort of fall into three different categories. Mm -hmm. So the first category is commanders that generate tokens. Guys that put other guys on the field... Uh, the first one we've talked about a bunch, Risk the Redeemed, is actually a very expensive card these days. It's up at 20 bucks right now. It's cr- yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, it's not cheap. I mean, the card is amazing. It's Selesnya as the mana cost, so it essentially just costs one for a 1-1 one, one Elf Warrior. And it has two abilities on it that you have to tap Risk to do. The first one is two in a Selesnya, so two a green or two in a white, to tap it and put a 1-1 one, one green and white Elf Warrior creature token into play. And uh, the more absurd ones for six mana, four and two green, two white, or any combination of those two. For each creature token that you control, put a token into play that's a copy of that creature. So he's like a doubling season kind of on a stick, but for a mana cost. Yeah, very, very strong, very powerful. This is probably the biggest go-to token commander. Um, And that's what he does. He just makes a lot of dudes. And he's pretty resilient because he can cast them for cheap again if he gets killed. Yeah, he's a very cheap general, and you can, you know, yeah, people are going to kill him, but you're probably going to be able to just cast him again, uh, you know, until the fourth or fifth time you've cast him. He's not very expensive at all. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Hazazon Tamar, who's four, a white, a green, and a red. Um, he's a two-four. This is another expensive card, but we're just using them as examples for the types of cards. So Hazazon enters the battlefield. You put X-1-1 Sand Warrior Creature Tokens onto the battlefield at the beginning of your next upkeep, where X is the number of lands you control. And then it says, when Hazazon leaves the battlefield, exile all Sand Warriors. So he can make a ton of dudes, but if he if he leaves the battlefield, you lose them all. Right. Um, just another very powerful, just make a lot of guys type. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you're casting him for just straight mana, he's going to make seven one ones in your next upkeep. Now, his ability is a little less powerful in EDH because you have to wait a long time after you cast him originally. Right. Um, but he, you can do some fun stuff. You can flicker him at end of, at end of turn to reset the number of uh, Sand Warrior uh, tokens that you have as well if you have more lands in play. Yep, he's, totally. He's got, he's got a lot of interesting stuff going for him. Uh, and the next one is another another big famous one is Krenko Mob Boss. This is right up your alley. Uh, My personal favorite. How yeah, you, Jimmy. How could you hate this guy? Look at him. He's just trying to be a mob boss over here. He's uh, doing a pretty good job, actually. He's doing a really good job, actually. <laughs> yeah, if any mob boss had the amount of creation ability that this guy has to make his like little minions, they would dominate the world. <laughs> uh, Krenko's 2 and 2 red for a 3 3 goblin warrior. That's a legendary creature. Uh, you can tap him to put X 1 1 red goblin creature tokens on the battlefield, where X is the number of goblins you control. So if it's just Krenko the first time, he puts one other guy out. The next time, he puts out two because him and plus the other guy, and then it just 
uh, kind of spirals out of the control. And he's there. doubling season again, except yeah. he's he's sort of I mean not just doubling season he's making dudes every turn. Yeah, uh, I mean it goes two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. I mean it gets out of control fast. Um, it's it's like that. Uh, I don't know. There's an anecdote that they used to say where you'd like if you took a a piece of paper and you folded it in half and then folded it in half and then at a certain amount of times folded in half it would actually you know reach the moon or something. You know, there's oh, yeah, that yeah. thing where like exponentially. It grows because when you're doubling, 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 it doesn't take very long to just get completely out of hand. Clearly, Josh and I are both mathematicians, so please do not tell us how we are completely wrong when we say this yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Google that folding in half to the moon thing because I definitely slaughtered it. But it, there's you know, some... wait, maybe it's like your intestines. If you stretch them all the way out, they can go <laughs> to the moon or something. I remember hearing something like that. All right. Well, so it has nothing to do with folding things in half. Anyway, the point is... Uh, Guys that make tokens, there's a lot of them. They're very strong. The next uh, category is commanders that pump your tokens. So they don't actually make tokens themselves, but they make all your tokens bigger or they give your tokens some other ability like haste. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, They just they want may- to pump you up. <laughs> they need to pump, pump you up. up. Uh, the first one we've talked about many times is Elishnorn. Uh, from the recent Modern Masters set, very, very strong. It's going to be uh, the cheapest card. she's ever been for a long time. Yeah, uh, for sure. If right you're thinking about, about building a token deck or just a deck that has white in it, then maybe good time to pick up Elishnorn. Elishnorn yeah. is a legendary creature. She's a 4-7. She costs 5 and 2 white. She has Vigilance. It says other creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. So all your tokens get bigger. It also says creatures your opponents control get negative 2, negative 2. So it gimps or or just kills a lot of their creatures. Uh, very Kinda strong. Kind of just does a half board wipe every time you play the card. Yeah, and the ones that are still left, their creatures that are still left, are like not very good anymore. So yeah, yeah Notably, this also hoses other token decks. Yeah, it just straight up kills all their tokens, and every time they try to make a new token, Elishnorn just sits there going, no, that one's it dies. <laughs> yeah, sorry, buddy. Yeah, very, very strong, not just in token decks, but also very good in token decks. Yeah, the, uh, the next card is another mono red love of mine, Urbrask the Hidden, three and two red for a four four, and he is a haste lord. So creatures you control have haste, and also creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Uh, so Urbrask is really good if you're going for that all-out aggressive strategy because any ability for your opponent to put in a creature to maybe block the onslaught of creatures that's coming their way is going to be severely gimped because they have to wait an extra turn for those creatures to untap. Yeah. Which is great. And haste itself is just so strong in a token deck because so often you have the ability to make 40, 50, 100 tokens, but then they're going to have to sit there and last through each other player's turn bef- and hope they don't board wipe you until you get back to your turn where you can attack with them. Yeah. If you have the ability to give all your creatures haste, now all of a sudden you can play them and attack on the same turn, and oftentimes that'll just win you the game. Which is pretty good. Pretty good. Um, pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> the, uh, the last one we're going to talk about in this category is Edric, Spymaster of Trest. So this is a little different tact, and it... Just wanted to mention it because there are a lot of commanders out there who you wouldn't necessarily think of as token commanders. Uh, and Edric's, I think, one of those. But they do actually synergize really well with having a lot of creatures on the board. So Edric is a 2-2 legendary creature, costs 1 in Simic, so 1 a green and a blue. He says, whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may draw a card. 
This so, is secretly one of the best creatures in EDH, I think. Yeah, it's very strong for a lot of reasons. The, the First of all, it just uh, encourages your opponents to attack each other because no one will draw cards if they hit you. Yeah. Um, but also, if you can make 12 tokens, all of a sudden you can swing in. Maybe they block two or three, but you might draw nine cards. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so, so it actually synergizes really well with tokens, but it's not like exactly what you would think of when you're like, mm, I'm going to build a token deck. Yeah, exactly. I've seen Edric built in a number of ways. One of them is with like a bunch of unblockable creatures, so no matter what, he's going to always be drawing one, two, three cards a turn. Mm-hmm. I think the token ability here is actually way nicer just because, for one, it's not as annoying if you just hit, get hit for like five damage. And right. But if people pay attention to you drawing five cards, then you're going to be in big trouble. But <laughs> I, I like being able to draw more faster so that you're able to protect yourself when people inevitably turn on you for yeah. being the spy master himself. And then the last category that we're going to talk about, so the, of the three categories that they sort of fall into, is what I'm calling token exploiters. Or yeah. if you go way back to one of our early episodes when we had Matt Arnold, uh, one of the creators of VGHS on, he talked about this philosophy for his token deck where he started thinking of the tokens as currency. And mm-hmm. then when he thought of it that way, he sort of was looking for cards that allowed him to spend that currency. So this is... This falls under the token exploiters category, um, which I thought Matt's way to think about it was really, really smart. Yeah. So this this is ways to use your tokens besides attacking. So the first one uh, that we have down is Savra, Queen of the Golgari. Now, Savra is two, a black, and a green. Of course, Queen of the Golgari. There you go. She's a 2-2. Two, two. It says, whenever you sacrifice a black creature you may pay two life. If you do, each other player sacrifices a creature. Just secondary text, whenever you sacrifice a green creature, you may gain two life. So you can sacrifice a green-black creature, gain two life, and make everybody else sack a creature, so that'll actually make you even on life because you pay two life for the one ability you gain two the other way. Or you, know you know can what the just... perfect card is for this deck? Hmm. It's in Modern Masters as well. Creekwood, Liege. Yep. Very, oh very gosh. good. You get your black green creatures out immediately. Now, Savra's not actually a way to sacrifice your creatures. You need something else that allows you to sack them. But when you do, all of a sudden you get all this added benefit. So that's a way to exploit just having a lot of creatures on the board because you can sort of just make sure nobody else can keep a creature on the board. Yeah, and you can and we- control your life total. Yeah, that's really nice, um, especially at instant speed. Also, like the ability to just have an edict on a stick, aka make everyone sacrifice a creature, is incredibly good. Yeah, very, I mean, very strong. I mean, you just put this with another card that does it already, like Dictate of Erebos, and you've got everyone sacrificing two creatures every time you sack one. I mean, you build this deck around sack outlets, and I think that's a really fun kind of deck to build. I mean, Actually, looking just... at a couple of these cards, I kind of want to build one of these decks. <laughs> that's, that's how you know the strategy is really good. I mean, you can just automatically... Hose, Rafik type decks, Shu Yun type decks, any deck that's going to just make like one big threat, yeah, are just going to be in really big trouble because you can just always like they play their commander. Okay, I sack a creature. Now you got to sack a creature, and they're like, yep. crap, I only have one. You know, it just really, really hurts decks like that, and they are very prominent in our uh, format. Yeah, it's it's a real hard lockdown um, unless you're playing uh, Cigarda. Eh, 
Sigarda. Uh, Sigarda. Um, yeah, another uh, great token exploiter that I think actually is probably one of the highest hate-generating cards that you could flip over as your commander would be Perforos, God of the Forge. Yes. We all know what this guy does. He's three in a red for a 6-5 uh, enchantment creature. He's a god, of course. Indestructible. If your devotion is to red is less than five, then he's not a creature. But basically, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Perforos deals two damage to each opponent. Make 10 tokens, deal 20 to everyone. You're probably going to kill someone. And for two in a red, you can also uh, give your creatures fire breathing plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. So it's well, it's not fire it's not fire breathing. It just gives all your creatures plus one plus zero. Oh, so it is very strong with tokens too. Right. It's it's yeah. It's like worldwide fire breathing. They all get to join Perforos at the forge and hammer out some flames. Hammer out some flames. Yeah, that's I think that secondary ability is actually underrated because Perforos wants you to make a lot of creatures because that deals damage to everybody. And then well, if you've got a lot of creatures, you might as well pump the their attack power. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like that alternate win condition uh, for Perforos. Like, if you can't kill them, or if someone's, like, stopping you from making too many tokens, you can just start swinging in for a lot of damage as well to either finish them off or get that last little bit of damage in. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's those three categories, and that's sort of an oversimplification. Like, a lot of commanders have their sort of foot in one or two of these categories at the same time, so they, they're actually covering multiple bases. Like, a really good one is Prosh. Sky right. Raider of Kerr, who we did a whole deck tech on again with Matt Arnold. So that was the deck he was talking about when he was talking about spending his tokens as currency. Prosh is three black, red, and green for a 5 5 flying dragon legendary creature. Of course, when you cast Prosh, put X01 red cobalt creature tokens named Cobalts of Kerr Keep onto the battlefield, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast Prosh. So it actually scales when you're paying the commander tax. Oftentimes you will want to uh, get Prosh killed so you can cast him again for even more mana to make more Cobalts. And then it also says, sacrifice another creature. Prosh gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn. So Prosh is actually a sack outlet and a token generator and a way to spend your tokens. It's one of the reasons he's so strong uh, is because he allows you to do so many things with your tokens just on him and he makes tokens. Yeah, he's he's the big daddy of token generators just because, I mean, the fact that he scales with commander tax is insane. And you, it's clearly a creature that Wizards built for commander specifically, which is why it's so nutty. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, all of the uh, commanders from the 2013 edition, they I mean, Aloro is in the same set as well. So there are a lot of really uh, very crazy, crazy cards in these sets. So... Derivy as well. Like these are all cards that people think are slightly on the edge of being too powerful. So it's it, you know I I for one think it's great that Wizards kind of push the uh, power boundary here. But you get stuff like Prosh, which is like the ultimate token generating colors and just sack outlet on a stick. All sorts of good stuff. Um, another great creature that's also from Commander would be Gave, Guru of Spores, or Gave as some people call him. Gave, uh, Gave, yeah. I'm all about my Agave sweetener, Guru of Spores. <laughs> Uh, put him in my coffee every day. Uh, he is two in Obzon, so two black, green, white. He's a zero, zero that comes in the battlefield with five plus one, plus one counters on it. And you can pay one to remove a plus one, plus one counter from a creature you control. So not necessarily has to be Gave, Gave. Uh, and you get to put a one, one green sapling creature token on the battlefield. And also for one, you can sacrifice a creature to put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. So he's insane because if you think about what he's doing, he, you essentially for two mana can reset the effect by taking a creature out putting a creature on and then sacking it to put a plus one plus one counter back on that creature or another creature you control but you can pair this up with uh grave of uh dictate of erebos and for two mana you have this 
repeatable effect that you can make everyone sacrifice a creature whenever you kill a creature because you're just sort of moving these things around. You can do it all at instant speed. Gavi is extremely uh, good when it comes to board wipes because you can just do a ton of stuff, trigger a bunch of abilities, and come out on top when something crazy happens. Yeah, there's so much incremental value that can occur with Gave out, it's it's pretty insane. He pairs up really well with Savra, who we talked ab- about earlier. Uh, and yeah. like you said, uh, Dictator of Airbrows, Grave Pact, those type of effects that say when a creature dies, this happens. You can just do it over and over without losing anything except for a couple of mana. So Gave yeah. is super, super strong. And another, one, another commander that's doing a couple of things, he's not only making tokens he's also a sack outlet for an added effect because you can also move one one counters around to your other creatures so it's it's very strong um yep. those are some of the best commanders because they're the versatility that they offer you yeah so okay let's talk about the cards some of the the big token cards or the types of token cards that will go in your 99 so these are the cards that are inside of your deck um, they're actually going to fall mostly into the similar categories. So we're going to start with token generators, but these are not commanders. So I we divided these into two different groups. There's one-time use, and then there's repeatable. Both have their place, but we're just going to talk about a few of these cards and why we may like them or may not like them. Because a lot of times you're going to be building a token deck, and at first you're just going to pull aside all the cards that just say the word token on it, right? But, That's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then you've got to narrow it down. So this is just going to be us sort of talking about how we might start to think about which cards we want and which we don't. So the very most simple token generating card, you talked about it earlier, Jimmy, is Raise the Alarm. Raise the Alarm is just one in a white for an instant. It says put two one one white soldier tokens onto the battlefield. There's, uh, red has Goblin Fodder, and there's a whole bunch of cards that are very similar to this that just yeah. make a couple of one ones for cheap two Um, mana for two power and two toughness kind of thing yeah exactly now like we said with synergy you can get that up there so that it's actually two mana for six power and six toughness even under that circumstance raise the alarm is not the kind of card that i generally want in a token deck Mm -hmm. it's i agree yeah it's just too small of effect so when you have the ability for a card to make two one one dudes every turn then i would almost always have that or want to have that over something like raise the alarm yeah, and there's a bunch of cards that we'll talk about in the second uh, bit, which is repeatable effects. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, you'd rather put something like Lingering Souls in there because it has flashback on it. Yeah, and at least the, you and, can do it twice. Yeah, exactly. And you get to put Flyers into the, the battlefield as well. Um, now, another card that uh, I think our, our sister podcast host, Ben Bateman, loves quite a bit would be Master of Waves. Yes. Who's three in the blue for a blue token generator, which you don't, again, we don't find too many of these compared to the other colors. Um, he's a 2-1 with protection from red, and elemental creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1, and when he enters the battlefield, you get to put a number of 1-0, so yeah, 1-0 blue elemental creature tokens on the battlefield equal to your devotion to blue, so however many blue pips you have on your permanents across the battlefield. Um, however, he gives them all plus 1, plus 1, so they become 2-1s, much like him. If Master of Waves ever dies, all your, all your elemental creatures just go bye-bye as well. Unless you have another Anthem effect out, and if you're in a token deck, there's a really good chance you would. So actually, Master yeah, exactly. of Waves may let them stick around even if it dies. Now, I would... Again, this is a one-time use, quote-unquote, but because you're in white or blue, you might be able to flicker this guy and keep making extra guys, you know, mm-hmm. provided you have another Anthem effect. I would say something like Master of Waves, I'm way more likely to use 
then raise the alarm just for the chance to to cast it more than once. Even then, it's not quite super powerful because it is normally just going to be like one time make four or five tokens. Yeah, it's also very dependent on devotion. And unless you're a very heavily blue, which is the best way to make take advantage of devotion, you're not going to get tons of tokens off something like this. Yeah. Now, white has a lot of creatures that come in with like a couple extra guys. And a lot of times those white cards have other effects like sacrifice a guy and get some effect or every time you attack you get another guy or stuff like that so right. those cards can be good just depending uh but again one time use one time generating token guys that are only making three or four not that great now this next card is something i probably would put in a token deck uh secure the wastes is a new card um from dragons of tarkir it's very simple yeah, very simple. It's, it's white and X for an instant. It says put X 1-1 one, one white warrior creature tokens onto the battlefield. So if you pay 11 mana, you'll get 10 1-1 one, one dudes at instant speed. They're all warriors. Yeah, so if you're playing warrior synergies, it's amazing. Uh, you can do this on someone's end step. They have pseudo haste. Yeah, and I think, I think that's a really strong part about it is a lot of times, like I said, you're like, I just need to make 10 guys that I can attack with right away. But it's hard to do that because a lot of token generators are at sorcery speed. Secure yeah. the waste you can do on the end step and then have the 10 guys and, like you said, pseudo haste. Yep, and uh, this scales really well into the later game because you're just going to have more mana. So you'd much rather draw something like this than a raise the alarm, let's say, on turn 10 when you have nine lands out. Because yeah, secure sure. the waste means you get tons of tokens. And all the raise the alarm is amazing on turn two, uh, more in actually constructed formats. It's just garbage later in the game. So Secure the Waste is good pretty much at any point in the game, even though you're technically playing one more mana than you would for Raise the Alarm for the equal amount of power and toughness. Yeah, that ability to scale with the game makes it a lot stronger than something like Raise the Alarm. And I would honestly pay up to three mana extra if it just meant that it was instant speed in EDH. It's so important to be an instant here. Yep, and especially because when you're in white, you don't necessarily have a way to get haste. Like if you're in white-green, you know, you maybe have Concordant Crossroads and a Chroma's Memorial, but after that, like, how the heck are you giving everything haste? And yeah. this is a way to sort of to sort of simulate haste. Yeah, um, the final on our one-time use token generators that we're going to talk about is one of my favorite cards, but it's very hard to make work, so it's just kind of more of a dream card, the best-case scenario mentality card, which is Devout Invocation, six and a white, seven mana total for a sorcery. Tap any number of untapped creatures you control and put a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying on the battlefield for each creature tapped this way. So best case scenario, you have like 10 guys, you cast this for 7 mana, you suddenly have 10 4-4 white angel creatures, you have a way to give them haste, you're killing someone that turn. Yeah, I think probably most of the time when you cast this card, you will win the game because yep. you're going to make, you know, 20 4-4 flyers, you'll probably have an anthem effect or two out. You know, if you have haste, it's just over. I, you know, I've won the game many times with this spell. It's just very, very powerful. And it's, it's a win insane. condition people don't see coming. You know, yeah. they might think, oh, I've got it. I've got Ghostly Prison out. I've got some other way to take care of it. I see his guys. Even if he pumps them, I'm fine. But then all of a sudden you're like, no, they're flyers and they're huge. Yeah, it's very hard to get around a bunch of 4-4 flyers because that 4-4 body is very respectable. And it's just, it's going to trade a lot and they won't want to make those trades a lot of the time. And the big thing too is like your creatures do not die when you tap them it's not like they they're so devoutly invocated that they like sacrifice their lives and become angels no they just bow down create a ton of angels 
And if you do happen to untap, you have all those creatures untapped at your next turn if they're still alive. Really good point. Yeah, it's great flavor, right? They bow, they pray, and the angels come and answer their prayers. Pretty good. I wish that happened every time I bowed and stuck a sword <laughs> out in front of me or a finger. Like, go, angel! Instead, um, Kiwi just runs, it's, runs through me. Instead, you get Kiwi. Yeah. Ah, well, she's cute. Yeah, she's super cute. Just wants food all the time. I, I don't know. I'd rather have a 4-4 angel, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I would, too. My dog cannot fly. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's talk about the repeatable token generators. The first one that we pulled aside was Kazandu Tuskcaller. It's one and a green. It's a level up creature. So you pay one and a green to level it up, and then it will slowly increase in level. It's from level two to five, you can tap it and make a three, three elephant. And then from level six plus, you can tap it and make two, three, three elephants. This wow. is, this card is one of those cards that seems really good. It's like, oh, once I get this going, I just tap and make a three, three every turn. And then yeah. once I really get it going, I tap and make two, three, threes every turn. I think what we find in general in EDH is that it takes us so many turns to get this thing going that making one three three every turn and sort of being capped there is not that great. I mean, it's okay, mm-hmm. but it's just not doing enough and it's a little too slow. Token yeah, decks, the power level is definitely there, but the speed is the issue with the card. Yeah. Token decks don't generally win by doing this, by going, I make two guys. I make yeah. four, I make two more. I make two more. I make four more. I make six more. I make ten more. Then I kill you. They usually <laughs> win like this. I make a guy. I make three or four guys. I block your dudes. I make fifty guys. I kill you. <laughs> yeah. Or hey, this goes around the table once. I have seventy guys now. Hey. Yep. Exactly. So it's just yeah. not in general. I'm not saying it's completely unusable, but it's one of those cards that newer players are like, "This is sweet," and then it just doesn't have the power level that you need to really close out games. Yeah, and it's not to say that you shouldn't never play a card like this, because I could see this being perfectly serviceable in a deck that isn't about making tokens necessarily, but more just needs to find ways to like gum up the ground, let's say. You're just having a hard time and you need to or you know, or you just have a way to you know, there's just different ways that you can use the Tusk Caller that helps out your certain deck that may not be tokens necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I will say there's another level up creature in this cycle that just creates more mana. And yes. I would much rather have that, um, because that opens more doors. And because you can only level up at sorcery speed, um, it's just hard to really justify having a creature like this on the battlefield because it's cool to make three threes, but in a deck where you're trying to go big and wide fast, one three three a turn is not going to get you there unless you have tons of untap abilities and all that. But then that's just a different kind of deck. Yeah, that's what I think exactly. You you really need to untap the tr- tusk collar a lot of times to make it work. And like you said, then you're just not playing a token deck. You're playing an untap deck. You're playing a tim deck. Yeah, my I love Tim decks. I'm just try, <laughs> still trying to build mine, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, another repeatable effect is Bitter Blossom. Now this card is insane in modern and standard and limited. Um, oh, however, and limited, it's just unbeatable. It's pretty unbeatable. Yeah, it's one in the black for a tribal enchantment, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and put a one-one black fairy rogue creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Whoa, that seems really good, right? But it's not great if you think about it. Um, the nice thing that you might look at this and be like, I have 40 life, I lose one life and put a 1-1 one, one black fairy in. No big deal. I can do that all day. The sad part is you're only making one a turn. And when it's, it's when you pass the turn, then when that person passes the turn, then it's your turn again, it's great. When you pass the turn and wait four turns and then you get 1-1 one, one out of it, eh. I mean, it's okay. I, I would maybe run this depending. It's also not a super cheap card, which definitely takes away from it. Correct. Uh, the life loss is, is real because... 
by the time you make five or six of them, it has hurt you. Now, if you're in a, a, a tribal deck where fairies matter, then I would be more apt to run it. If I mm-hmm. wasn't running tribal fairies, I probably wouldn't. I mean, we've talked about this before. I literally think Awakening Zone, which just makes zero one Eldrazi spawn tokens, is better than Bitter Blossom most of the time. Yeah, because I'd agree with that. The fact that there's zero one and on the ground is actually not that big of a deal because you're just waiting until you have 50 things anyway. And the fact that you can sacrifice the Eldrazi spawn for extra mana is huge. Yeah, and that's really what you want to do is be able to ramp into the big stuff that wins the game. And Bitter Blossom is, let's say you have a, a meta that's just super about throwing huge flyers at you, then Bitter Blossoms could be amazing because you could just always have that nice 1-1 one, one flying blocker. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's relevant. But it's not relevant because it's it's not good if you're trying to go wide fast. Yeah, It'll just, help you get there, but it's not the best way of doing it. Yeah, it's just rarely going to be the thing that gets you the 50th token that's going to attack people. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next one All is right. Dragon Brood Mother. This is something that we wanted to mention because it has specific wording. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says at the beginning of each upkeep, put a 1 1 dragon creature token with flying and devour two into play. Devour, let's not worry about it. The fact that it says at the beginning of each upkeep, put a 1 1 flying dragon creature, that's yep. the part. Now, there's many cards that create tokens that have wording that says at the beginning of your upkeep and there's a few that say each upkeep this works like profit of crew fix that means if there's five players at the table you're going to get five one one flyers every rotation of the table yeah it's That's crazy absurd yeah. i would actually recommend you just go into gatherer and look up the words each upkeep and see what cards pop up because for the most part there are some powerful things that do this because each upkeep in commander they didn't write this card with multiplayer in mind. Yeah, totally. It's it's sort of like a loophole in the rules. So there's a lot of cards like this. I would definitely look for them. They are very, very strong because the amount of value you're getting is just huge. Yep. Do your research. Make some sweet, sweet cards uh, pop into your, your brain. Um, another really good card that does at the beginning of upkeep stuff would be Assemble the Legion. However, it is not each upkeep. Womp womp. Uh, but it's Boros, and actually we should talk. We'll talk about this, and we talk about this in some of our color wheel episodes. But Boros is actually uh, it's all about the military and all about sort of uh, organized soldiers and stuff. So having tokens in these colors is very sort of an obvious flavor win. Um, Assemble the Legion is three red and white, and the beginning of your upkeep put a muster counter on the Assemble of the Legion. Then put a one one red and white soldier creature token with haste on the battlefield for each muster counter. Uh, I keep thinking I'm saying mustard. <laughs> the card's gold and it's yellow. Uh, on uh, so you get to put a one one for each muster counter um, on assemble the legion. So it, this this spirals out of control faster than bitter blossom. I will say this is better than bitter blossom in some ways because you get one, then you get two, then three, then four, then five, and those add up to be a much larger number than just one 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 one. And they naturally have haste. It's it's yeah. crazy. If you've had this out for five turns, the you've literally taken over the game. It's. If they don't get rid of it after the fifth turn, you're gonna you're just gonna win. Just yeah. making six one ones plus every turn that have haste is almost impossible to deal with. This is even playable in decks that aren't token decks. Just for like, I'll play it, and if you don't stop it pretty soon, this will win all by itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does take over the game, and it does so in a way that is kind of innocuous. Because when you're putting out two, no one's really looking at you. When you're putting out three, you may raise one eye or two. But if you're not even really swinging at people with it. And it's just on one dice. You know, it's not like you're putting out physical tokens for each one. 
you can kind of get away with some dirty stuff. Yeah, you can really surprise people. Uh, uh, I guess we could do a whole episode on how to uh, potentially play in a way that is obvious that you're doing stuff, but also not obvious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one in the repeatable token generators that we're going to talk about is Luminarch Ascension. So it's one in a white for an enchantment. It says... At the beginning of each opponent's end step, if you did not lose life this turn, you may put a quest counter on Luminarch Ascension. So on each player's turn, if they end their turn and you didn't take damage, you put a quest counter on it. Then you can pay one and a white to put a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield. You can only activate this ability if it has four or more quest counters on it. This card is is insanity. This is a five-player game you play us on turn two and no one's hitting anyone for a full rotation of the table. You get to start putting out four fours. I mean, they're probably not because probably on turn two, nobody has anything, so they don't even have the ability to hit you. Yeah, this card is absurdly powerful, um, especially... And, and, like, even if you can take care of it after two rotations, if the person just has six mana, they're like, all right, I'll just make three more four fours, and then it it disappears. Yeah, and if you, you don't get rid of it, all of a sudden they're making, on turn, like, four or five... You know, they can have like six, eight, four, four, you know, flying angels. Like that just yeah. wins. That wraps up the game so fast. It's kind of insane. This card is one of those cards that people that know EDH really well, if if you put it out and they, they don't have a destroy enchantment, then they'll just start killing you because it, it draws hate like Rafik does if they know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can just start swinging at people for like 16 in the air after turn three is very, very scary. Yeah. Super, super, super strong. Yeah, uh, some other repeatable token generators that we won't talk about, but you can just look up Sacred Mesa makes a bunch of Pegasuses, yep. Pegasi, Mobilization makes uh, Mobilization makes a ton of soldiers. Dragon Roost makes a lot of dragons. There are cards in every sort of color that does this. You can even just Google the words repeatable token generator EDH, and you'll find a big list of them on some forum somewhere. Yeah, and you could probably tell that definitely we lean towards repeatable token generation over one-time use but your deck will want some one-time use stuff you will want the ability to surprise everyone secure the wastes types of cards are very very good just to give you that extra oomph that they don't know to calculate that allows you to win at a moment when they're not ready for it yeah exactly don't write off the uh, the devout invocations just because they're one-time use and sorcery speed those can be your win conditions as well yeah you just don't want a ton of those you want your deck to be mostly repeatable with a few mm-hmm. surprise one-time use so the next category the same as the commanders is token pumpers so token buffers stuff that makes all your tokens big the most famous of these is overrun uh again i won't get into it too much but it just pumps all your creatures and gives them trample and it's a one-time use spell it's in green so yeah overrun overwhelming stampede uh there's tons of cards that do stuff like this fortify even cards there's just tons red uh green definitely and white are the big ones that do this but this is just like a sorcery speed sometimes instant speed just boom all my stuff's big i attack and usually trample is the key word here. That's the big one that wins the game um, for the most part because people can block stuff, but if you're able to trample over and just deal the rest of the damage to them, that's usually how you get through for the for the lethal. Yeah, although if you're not in green and you can't give trample, then that just means you just need a few more tokens when you attack, which is usually yeah. totally doable. Yep. Uh, the most famous one is probably the next guy. You can go ahead and read it. Crater Hoof Behemoth, Big Daddy Froggy over here, 5 and 3 green, 8 mana total for a 5-5 five, five with haste. 
Those stats kind of suck. But however, when Crater Hoof Behemoth enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain trample and get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. If you have five creatures, everything's plus five, plus five, and trample. If you have eight creatures, that is enough to kill anybody. <laughs> and you're in a token deck. Sometimes you're going to have 40 creatures. That, yeah. that kills this everybody. Scales, this scales insanely well when you have a bunch of tokens. That's why it's so good. Yeah. It, it, Crater Hoof's probably one of those ones that every single person has heard a story about a person who's like, I did this, and then I did this, and then I cast a million tokens, and then I cast Crater Hoof. And I calculated it, and it was 172,854 damage. <laughs> you know, we've all heard those stories. He, she, toad, frog, whatever, just leads to those kind of blowouts. Yep, just straight up win you the game, hardcore. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, because you don't really think of it as pumping your tokens, but it can be, is effects like Relentless Assault. So Re- Relentless Assault is a sorcery. It's two and two red. It says, untap all creatures that attacked this turn. After this main phase, there is an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. So you get two combats. That's another yeah. way to pump all your tokens because you just get to use them all twice. Yeah, say, a lot of cards do this. There's some enchantments to do. The Scourge of the Throne does this. Yeah. Um, sometimes this is the win condition because there are so many points when you're like, I would swing out right now, but I wouldn't be able to kill everyone. Well, Relentless Assault is exactly that kind of win condition where it's like, oh, I get to do it twice? Okay, then three people are definitely dying this turn. Right. Uh, As opposed to just one and a half or whatever. Yeah, then that half sucks because you're like, half does nothing. Yeah, and that person is like, all right, well, I guess I just try and kill you or hopefully I have a board wipe, et cetera, et cetera. So now the repeatable token pumpers or the sustainable ones. Uh, Another one we've talked about many times is Coat of Arms. So Coat of Arms is a little bit complicated. I'm going to read it. Stay with me here. It's five mana for an artifact. It says each creature gets plus one, plus one for each other creature on the battlefield that shares at least one creature type with it. So if you have, let's say you've got three goblins, there's each goblin has two other goblins that share a creature type with it. So each of them get plus two, plus two. So you basically you take all of one tribe that you've got or whatever tribes you have, and then you minus one from it. And that's how many they get plus to their power and toughness. So sounds complicated. If you have seven goblins, they all get plus six, plus six. Pretty easy. This yeah. this actually does it for your opponents as well. So there is a slight downside, although probably your opponents aren't making 50 creatures every turn. Um, They're playing tribal. Yeah, exactly. But it is a, it's just a very good card. Usually you just go coat of arms, attack, win. Yeah, because, I mean, if you have eight out, then they're all plus seven, plus seven. It's just, I mean, it, it scales well with the more tokens you have. It's kind of similar to Obelisk of Erd, except that's just a static plus two, plus two to all your creatures. So, Coat of Arms is nice. You can, even that turn, let's say you only have five, it's like, well, I'm going to play five, I'm going to make five more with Krenko. They can't attack this turn, but it doesn't matter because it makes all of my other guys plus four, plus four on top of the plus five or whatever they were, or were already, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and of course, all of the lieges, uh, L-I-E-G-E, these were all kind of reprinted in um, Modern Master, at least a lot of them were. Uh, there's Creekwood Liege, there's Wiltleaf Liege, there's Glenelender Liege. Um, these are all two-color pairings, and they're all extremely powerful because they all are lords, so they give other creatures that share a color with them, black or green for the Creekwood Liege, plus one, plus one. And Creekwood Legion in particular is incredibly powerful because at the beginning of your upkeep, you may play one, one black and green worm creature token onto the battlefield. But Creekwood Legion gives it a buff because it's black and green. So you're putting out three threes every single upkeep. Um, in all addition the to bump, pumping all your stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, they're usually very well and 
well-costed bodies, like four mana for a 4-4, four, four, etc. And they are so good because you need a lot of these kinds of effects like Coat of Arms or Obelisk over in your deck to make your deck be able to swing in and win in that big fashionable turn. Fashionable. That big flashy turn. It is very fashionable to win, though. I guess so. You're fashionably uh, right on time to the party in this case. Winning never goes out of style. <laughs> um, the next one is a very important one. It's also a little bit spendy. It's Acroma's Memorial. It's seven mana for an artifact. It says, creatures you control have flying, first strike, vigilance, trample, haste, and protection from red and black. Uh, this is very important, mostly for the haste, actually. Because if, you're, if you don't have red... Yeah. If you don't have red, you have very few ways to give all your creatures haste, and Acroma's Memorial is one of the few ways to do it. Um, also, it gives flying and a bunch of other stuff that does happen to matter. But yeah, the first hate... strike, vigilance, trample, haste is insane. <laughs> yeah, and the protection from red black does come up. Usually, there's at least one player at the table where you're like, "Well, my dudes are just unblockable to you now." Yeah, exactly. You're not really worried about red burning out any of your creatures or black, you know, kind of killing them all. You're worried more about white board wipes. So having just that protection is really to get through blockers. Yeah. Um, there's also Cathar's Crusade, uh, which is one of those, another one of those cards that just gets straight out of control. Um, he kind of does what Machaeus the Unhallowed does. Uh, is it the Unhallowed? Machaeus the Lunark, sorry. Right. Uh, where where he, he gets to put plus some plus some counters on a bunch of stuff. Catharist Crusade is a five drop, three and two white. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus some plus some counter on each creature you control. So if you have a guy that's sitting there from the beginning of the game, he's going to have a bunch of counters on him. And if you play Raise the Alarm, you get to put two plus some plus some counters on every single creature you control. Including the Raise the Alarm up. tokens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what's really crazy is when you do something like Secure the Wastes, all 10 come in at the same time, and they all generate all these counters for all the rest of them. That's another thing where you put out Cather's Crusade, and then the next turn on the end step, you cast secure the waste and make 12 one ones they all get a ton of one one counters and then you have they have virtual haste and you can attack and win uh cathars just allows for some crazy crater hoof behemoth style you know attacks yep and it gets out of control the five man to pay for it is really negligible when you're abusing tokens in the way that you should be with these kind of decks and the last one in this category that we're going to talk about is Aggravated Assault. So it's actually just the repeatable version of Relentless Assault. Mm -hmm. It goes infinite with Savage Event Maw, by the way. Yep. It's uh, two and a red for an enchantment. It says you can pay three and two red, and then you untap all creatures you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase, followed by an additional main phase. Uh, you can only play this anytime you could play a sorcery. So it just gives you extra attacks for every five mana you spend. It's exactly relentless assault except for just stays on the table and continues to do it as many times as you want yeah pretty good yep and uh yeah that that good that does it for what we're talking about for token pumpers there are lots and lots of cards that do this and they're all very flexible uh triumph of the hordes again is one that we talked about that specifically gives infect to your creatures as well and that's just a win condition if you're missing a win condition you can even put a, a token pumping kind of card into a deck that isn't necessarily trying to go too wide because if you're able to just get in for that extra you know 10 15 damage because of a card like this then that could be enough to just win you the game on the spot totally all right let's talk about some token exploiters so we mentioned this a little bit earlier but essentially ways that you can use your tokens or just have cheap ways to throw them away um and you turn them into something better so you're essentially trading them away or like a one one that does nothing for something that's even awesome or diabolic intent is one of the uh, more expensive tutors for black but for one in the black 
as an additional cost to play Diabolic Intent, you have to sack a creature, and then you get to find any card in Demonic Tutor into your hand. So it's Demonic Tutor, but essentially with the additional quote-unquote downside of you have to sacrifice a creature to use it. But, you know, in a color like black, you want stuff going to the bin. In a token deck, you just don't care if those cards die. It's a very good, very good interaction. Yeah, it's just basically in a token deck, it's the same as having a second Demonic Tutor. Um, yeah, it's it's a little spendier. It's around, what, eight bucks or so, but... Yeah. Very good. The The next one is Cultural Exchange. So this is a sorcery in blue. It's four and two blue. It says, choose any number of creatures target player controls. Choose the same number of creatures another target player controls. Those players exchange control of those creatures. So you say, oh, you've got five dudes. Well, you can have these five sapperlings. And yeah. I'll take your Avacyn and your Kalia and your Scourge of the Throne and, you know, a couple other guys. It's a cultural exchange. Yeah. We're going to learn tons about each other's this cultures. This is great. Didn't How you- would you feel if I murdered you with your own culture? <laughs> Actually, you don't want to do that because then you lose control of the creatures. Um, <laughs> yeah, if they die, that's right. I, you want to kill somebody else. But it's very strong. It also doesn't sit there with, like, an enchantment on it that they can remove to get their creatures back. Those creatures are just yours unless they flicker them or unsummon them yeah. or something. This is a super strong uh, card in a token deck. Yeah, next up is one of my favorite board wipes, uh, Retribution of the Meek, two in the white. It's a sorcery. Destroy all creatures with power four or greater, and they can't be regenerated. So this is as, as f- much of a one-sided board wipe as you can get when it comes to token decks because... Well, you know, if you do it at the right time and your tokens aren't super massively pumped up, you get rid of everything, almost everything pertinent on the board, and then you have all these one ones that are now free to roam around. This is the type of thing most people wouldn't think of as a way to exploit tokens, but it is because you're exploiting the fact that you have a bunch of little dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's move into the repeatable area. The first one up is Ashnod's slash Phyrexian Altar. So Ashnod's, you sack a creature, you get... Uh, two colorless mana or Phyrexian Altar you sack a creature and you get one mana of any color they're both artifacts so they just sit there on the table and you can now turn your creatures into mana at the cost of sacrificing them yeah this is the cleanest sort of conversion rate from creature to mana that you can get and that's why these are absolute must put ins for any token deck you have to have both these cards in there yeah they're amazing we're always talking about every deck needs card draw and mana ramp but what mm-hmm. you really want to do when you're really cooking is you want your mana ramp to also synergize with your deck. You don't want it to just be a mana rock if you don't have to. And Ashnod's Altar and Phyrexian Altar are mana ramp that take advantage of having a lot of creatures on the board, so they synergize. Yeah, so there's a card like Skull Clamp, yep. which is banned everywhere pretty much except for EDH, which means it is super powerful. It's a one-drop artifact. They reprinted in Commander. They want you to have this card. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, minus one, and whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards. Now, originally, it's also an equip cost of one. Originally, uh, R&D was like, oh, no, we it, it was supposed to be plus one, plus one, and whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards. They made a mistake with this card. They made it minus one because they were like, we need to make this have a downside. What they didn't realize is that this just outright kills any token that's attached to that's one, one. Yeah, now you don't have to go through the process of getting that token killed. The skull clamp kills it. Yep, and you immediately draw two cards for one mana. So you can just clamp your entire team and draw so many cards because of it. Drawing two cards, it's it's nuts. It's often the single most powerful card that you can draw in your token deck because it just gets you the gas you need to, you know, do whatever you want in that game. Yeah, in your in your uh, shell 
uh, Shadowborn Apostles yep. deck, this is like the only equipment you have in there. And I literally run uh, Steel Shaper's Gift, which is a tutor for equipment, even though I only have one piece of equipment in the whole deck because it's that powerful. Yeah. Um, and in a deck like that, you kind of need every little edge you can get to try and win against other quote-unquote real decks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, the next one is Goblin Bombardment. We mentioned it earlier. This is an innocuous little card that ends up being insanely powerful and winning a lot of games. It's one yeah. and a red for an enchantment. It says, sacrifice a creature. Goblin Bombardment deals one damage to target creature or player. Hey. Hey, so I don't care if you've got... It's as flavorful as it gets. They stick the goblin in the giant crossbow, and then they just fire it at something, and the goblin dies along the way. But it does one damage. Yep, it smacks them. It's yeah. it's very strong because when they get those sort of stabilizing forces out, they get their ghostly prison out, they get their moat up, you go, oh, well, I'll just sack 10 dudes and deal 10 damage to your face. And you can just finish them off that way. It's very strong. Also, it has the versatility to be able to kill creatures when you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many X1s out there that just die. Your pinger deck against Goblin Bombardment, or, or like Goblin Sharpshooter is just, oh no, that's like the last thing you want to see against you. Um, also, I love the uh, flavor text, which is one Mog to aim the catapult, one Mog to steer the rock. <laughs> and the art, they're literally chained to the rocks that they're just going to... It just doesn't make any sense as goblins. Like, why don't you just shoot the rock? You don't need something on it to steer it. But you know what? If it's a, if it's a sack out, outlet on a stick and one of the best cards in a lot of my decks, I don't care. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, yeah, and it's great because it does get around stuff like moat and stuff because it's like, hey, do you have protection from enchantments doing you damage? Didn't think so. Is it combat damage? No, <laughs> it qualifies as specifically weird card-based damage that you're just not going to be able to get around. Like Chiron Negotiations, two and two red for an enchantment. Tap an untapped creature you control. Chiron Negotiations deals one damage to target player. So it doesn't do creatures in this case, but you're not sacrificing your creatures either to get this effect to happen this actually is a really sweet card i think just because for two extra mana uh, one of them is you do have to play two colored red for it but you're able to r repeatedly reuse your creatures to do a ton of damage to people it's very very strong it's also the way that it's worded you can use your creatures uh at haste speed because it's actually like a downside tap and untap mm -hmm. creature you control it doesn't give them the ability to tap and do this it's like the kieran negotiations taps them so if you have Kieran Negotiations out, a lot of times you can do something like, again, secure the waste for 15 and then tap all those guys to do 15 damage directly to somebody. Yeah, and then untap and do another 15. Yep. It's if you're doing it on an end step. Very, very good point. Uh, that's a lot of damage and totally doable on turn, you know, eight or nine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This card's scary. Uh, why haven't we seen this around the table more often? Yeah, don't I don't know. Don't tell our playgroup about it, Josh. I have it in my token deck, but I just haven't I haven't drawn it that many times, and I don't play my token deck all the time, so we just haven't This is also it. a great way to have negotiations at, negotiations at the table because someone can be like, hey, I don't know what to do, or like, I'm going to swing at you and be like, if you do, I can actually just kill you right now. Yeah. I, I, your life hangs in the balance because of me. <laughs> and I can choose at any point to end your life. So you should do exactly what I tell you to do. Or don't swing at me. Go at someone else. The next card is Earthcraft. This is a spendy one. Very powerful. It's similar to Kieran Negotiations. It's one in a green for an enchantment. It says tap an untapped creature you control. Untap target basic land. Uh, so the basic land bit is a little less pertinent in EDH because a lot of decks run a lot of non-basics, but if you're in mono green or a two-color deck, 
this is insane, especially with tokens. You just get to double your mana a lot of times. You only need to have one basic land to make it worth it, though, because you can just untap it with one creature, tap it, then untap it with another creature, tap it. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it like that. So you can just generate so much mana. So again, if you have something like Secure the Wastes, you can make, instead of 12 do you know, instead of 12 guys, you can maybe make 20 or 30, depending on how many creatures you already have in play. Like, like yeah. we've said many times, token decks are generally like, hang around, hang around, hang around, make 80 guys on one turn attack you. And stuff like Earthcraft helps you get there because usually to make 80 guys, you just need a lot of mana in one big burst. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, I guess the final card we'll talk about in the token exploiters segment is uh, the wonderful, the incredibly powerful, and the card that makes you essentially not play any cards in your hand or a shards. Yep. Oh my gosh. One in the green and white for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment. And guess what? We have a lot of in this game of EDH. Both of those things. Again, raise the alarm with this. You get to kill two artifacts or enchantments for a total of five mana with aura shards plus raise the alarm. That I mean, that's the, the power level is out of control. Secure the waste for like 14. You can just wreck every single thing on the board at that point. In a token deck... Honestly, like usually if you get aura shards out, just nobody else gets an enchantment or artifact. Like they just can't have Yeah, them. they're too scared. I mean, you're going to destroy every one pretty fast. And then if they ever put one out, you're creating multiple guys every turn, sometimes five, six, sometimes 10 guys. I mean, the board state just can't keep up with that. Yep. Yeah, very strong. Um, obviously, we can't talk about every card in all these situations. Again, there's a lot of things. Uh, Grave Pact, Dictate of Erebos, another big one that fits in this category. There's a ton of stuff that just reward you for having a lot of creatures in play. So we're going to move on, but there's a lot we're of things. Move on. Yeah. yeah, we've discussed quite a bit here today. And again, the internet is your friend. A lot of people have had lots of in-depth discussion, discussions, discussions about tokens and how to make token decks and how to best use them. And this is something I found that's really fun to just experiment with. There's lots of different ways to exploit tokens. Find something that you like. For instance, Convoke is a mechanic that's returned recently to Magic, and Convoking is an incredible way to exploit your token usage. Yeah, for sure. A lot of fun ways, fun stuff you can do there. One interesting thing uh, I noticed while we were putting this list together is just if you know the color pie, you know, going back to our color wheel series, you can often see some ways that the uh, color pie affects how you might want to build your token deck. If you're paying attention as we were going through, you'll notice that like white and green, for instance, they sort of have a lot of the swarm and mass pump effects, whereas like black sort of prefers using their tokens to sacrifice. They don't have as many of them make my guys all big. You know, blue also falls into that category. So you can sort of ride the color wheel to sort of determine how it is that you want to build your brand of token deck. Yep. Yep, definitely. Uh, and we talk about a lot of this as well in our Color Wheel series about how the allied colors work and the enemy colors, p- color pairs work. And yeah, they definitely influence the kind of token deck you you might make. Although if you're like Josh, you'll probably just do a five color one and get a little bit, get a little <laughs> bit know, of everything. My token deck is actually not five colors; it's only three. So it's a uh, white. So you're saying green it's unfinished? Yes, <laughs> I'm saying that pretty soon. I'm turning it into a token. No, just kidding. Uh, the last, the last point is sort of. One of the big points about making a token deck that you run into, and we've talked about this in a few other episodes, but we'll bring it up here. It's sort of the big question when you're sort of, I don't know what's the word, when you're, when you're choosing your ratios, as we like to say. So yeah. you, you come up upon this question, which is like, I have token generators, and then I have pump spells, and then I have exploiters, and in what ratio should I have these things? 
And what we've said in the past, and I think is is very true, is that err on the side of more token generation and mm-hmm. less of the other stuff. Because if you think about it, what happens if you have an opening hand that has all token generators and then you draw four token generators in a row? Well, that's okay. It's not, yeah, it's not, you just have more tokens. It's not ideal, but yeah, you're going to just have a bunch of creatures on the board. Now, let's say the opposite happens. You draw an opening hand, and it has all pump spells and no token generators, and then you draw three or four pump spells in a row. Well, that sucks, because pump spells don't do anything without tokens, so you would much rather have a lot more token generators and a lot less of the other stuff. Right. Yeah, and the other stuff is sort of more your win condition in general. Yeah, and I know some people are against tutors, but tutors essentially are your second pump spell um, when you need to find it. You know, you'd rather be able to find either a token generator or a pump spell. You don't necessarily want to draw your opening seven and have six pump spells, you know, and one token generator. Well, hopefully you have some lands in there too, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, what Josh is saying is right. Uh, you definitely want to err on the side of more token generators because, again, this is a deck that is very vulnerable to big board wipes if you're not able to recover from them. And uh, you also want to be able to know, like, hey, you know, maybe I don't need to play all of these out right now. I can hold a couple back just in case. Um, And that's why token generators are more important just in general. All right, very cool. So we're just scratching the surface here. We'll probably do a deck tech on a token deck uh, maybe next episode. Who knows? And I'm sure we'll talk about this um, in the future for sure. It's just a very big pillar of our format. Yeah, and let us know if there's an archetype series that you are just dying to hear about. Uh, it could have been tokens, and hey, guess what? We already did it. Ha-ha. Or it could be something entirely different like tribal or whatever. So let us know. You can tweet at us at JF Wong or at Josh Lee Kwai, or you can find our regular Command Zone podcast Twitter at CommandCast. All right, ready for the end step? I'm always ready for the end step, and by that, I mean I'm never ready for the end step. Uh, that's okay. I'll go this time. All right. So this is where we talk about (laughs) this is where we talk about something (laughs) cool outside the world of magic. I have a new podcast that I have started to listen to that I'm enjoying. It's it's called (laughs) I'm only allowed to listen to the Command Zone podcast. Is that is that? Yeah, yeah, duh. Uh, I'd never listen to LR now. (laughs) I listen to LR, the Masters of Modern. uh, So many. I'm not even going to go into. (laughs) This is not magic related, though. Remember, because that's how the end step works. The podcast is called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. It's kind of a podcast about sometimes they're talking about crazy conspiracies that are out there. Sometimes they're talking about just other things in the world that it's like, this is something crazy that happened, but no one talked about it. You know, that kind of stuff. It's a very cool podcast. Uh, I had some time on uh, a plane and delayed at the airport because whenever you go to the airport now, you get delayed. And I got to listen to a lot of episodes in a row. They're pretty short. They're usually around a half hour. I would definitely uh, recommend checking out stuff they don't want you to know. Just search for it on iTunes. That's that's really cool. It kind of reminds me of like a BuzzFeed article title, but I'm guessing it's been around for quite a while now. Yeah, it's been around. It's not BuzzFeed-esque at all. Wait. Well, you know what? I will check that out because I do want to learn some stuff that they don't want me to know, whoever they is. The Illuminati, <gasps> I assume. I knew they were real. <laughs> and they're hiding in all the magic cards if you look close enough. <laughs> All right, make sure to listen to our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern, with Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. You can find them on rocketjump.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. 
Yeah, our editor for the show is Eli Cuevas, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations. You can find them on Twitter at LivingCardMTG, or you can also just watch our videos, and it starts every video off. There's tons of really cool ones throughout the videos on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, I'm Nolan Sykes, a host of Past Gas, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Every week, my co-hosts, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hollowed halls of car history. From the amazing to the weird to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive podcast in the world.